1: You're looking taller than usual. I feel taller. <laughs> I am. Uh, I need a shower. Actually, it looks like you're in a uh, war with soap as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the I'm, two of us are in college. I've used up all my soap on my hands. I, I don't know why we're not smoking cigarettes and drinking beers. Oh, because we're not. Can't smoke. I stopped doing that. I, know. Smoking, I used to smoke, a but lot. I haven't stopped drinking though. Yeah, but it's, we're not supposed to smoke. The uh, it's uh, March nineteenth, where the pandemic is creeping closer to us. And we are panicking with friends. And this afternoon, I have on an old, old friend who knows more about quant and modeling and software and stocks and pretty much anyone I know. He, he worked at a firm. He started a firm uh, that managed about six, seven hundred million. Now he's starting a, a a new firm with new strategy. Um, Eric Crittenden. We'll call him up. He's local here in Phoenix, but we didn't want him in the room contaminating us. So, uh, and he's seen some, he's been with me. I, he's known me for 20 years. So he's seen the involvement of uh, me from writing a fund to um, investing in startups. The, um, so let's get Eric on the phone, but first a message from Koyfin, one of our portfolio companies that, uh, whose product I live on. Canute, we ready? Do you think I should just be a little louder? What's the... Just speak a little louder, please. Speak a little louder, please. This episode is brought to you by Coifin. It, like I said, it's a portfolio company of ours. If you want to track and analyze what's happening in the current market turmoil, Coifin is for you. It's a web-based platform that lets you analyze stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, and other assets all in one place. I use it every day. It's open right now. I'm freaking out. And uh, has a ton of high-quality data, powerful functionality, and a really clean interface. Best part is it's free. You can sign up on the World Wide Web dot com. That's K-O-Y-F-I-N dot com. So uh, let's get Eric from Standpoint on the phone. Let's talk markets and trading and investing in the markets right now.
0: This is Eric. Crittenden. Linsen. Hey,
1: Mr. Linsen.
0: Mr. Lindsay. Yes, sir.
1: You are locked down in Scottsdale. We're not allowed to see each other. We don't even have, uh, the, even though we live close, you are in, I know if there's one guy that's quarantined, it's you.
0: Yeah, it's part of my job right now. So indoors for the next several weeks, at least.
1: It's two weeks, right? But are you going out at all or just Amazoning everything?
0: Well, you know, I, everything's closed around here. So they even closed down my gym, the pool, everything. So but the
1: gym would be dangerous anyways.
0: Yeah, I was skipping that anyways, but it's interesting that they've closed everything.
1: Yeah, Scottsdale's moved pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I did try to go to the grocery store about four days ago. There's nothing left except for Landshark beer. It's the only thing people don't want, I guess.
1: (laughs) I don't know about Landshark. That that doesn't sound good. All the the Corona
0: was gone. All the bread was gone, milk, everything. Just Landshark beer and some Dasani water. That's all that was left.
1: No, I think we, Alan, my wife's been shopping every day, but maybe you're right. The uh, well, it's going to go on for a few more weeks. What uh, tell everybody? Uh, we've been through some fun and hellacious times, but tell everybody today what uh, Eric Crittenden does.
0: Well, I am the chief investment officer at Standpoint Asset Management mm-hmm. to start uh, up build. Yeah, to start up a new company that we started uh, maybe four or five months ago. I build and maintain and manage uh, alternative investment strategies. Uh, Prior to Standpoint, I was the chief investment officer at a firm called Longboard Asset Management, Mm -hmm. where we had a managed futures mutual fund, a long-short equity mutual fund, and a multi-strategy hedge fund. I worked there for, I think it was eight years.
1: Were you one of the founders? Yes.
0: Yeah, I was one of the founders. And then Mm -hmm. prior to that, it was uh, Blackstar Funds. Right. which was a multi-strategy hedge fund. And prior to that, I worked on your trade desk at Linsen Capital Partners. So By I have a
1: tiny trade desk of Linsen Capital. You've seen things that people should not see.
0: Yeah, it's dangerous for you to bring me on the podcast. I I trust I you. I
1: think you'll tell the <laughs> truth. I don't even think I had a, I didn't ever, you could be honest, I've never called you and briefed you on this, but I want to hear, I, I. it's been so long, I want to I go back to that panic because this show is Panic with Friends. Um, so do you want to start with, uh, the fund today and, and the markets today, or do you want to go back in time first? You, you, you're the guest, you get to choose Mm, however you would like to promote Eric Grittenden and and the new company versus going back and ending with Eric today.
0: Well, due to regulations, I can't talk about the fund uh, and I can't, can't self promote, uh, but I can certainly talk about. So you
1: can degrade me that hasn't that you could do that.
0: I'm so tired of doing that. I've been doing that for so long. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, uh, yeah, but you have no friends. So who are you going to tell it to?
0: Oh, Howard. No. The,
1: um, the, the, um, so we'll go back to the beginning. So I I met you, what, like 97, 98?
0: Uh, we met before I came to work there. But I came to work at your firm two days after 9-11.
1: It was two days after? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the market had already – you're right. So we started working together after the implosion.
0: Right. The markets were closed, so we had nothing to do for, I think – how long were the markets closed? A
1: week, Six 10 th- days, yeah.
0: Yeah, so that was a panic. Um, I got to watch you panic on a daily basis. I think I remember you throwing staplers at people's heads at one point.
1: I was that guy then, wasn't I?
0: Yeah, you were, it, was, it was an interesting environment. Those were fun times.
1: And I was with Harold and with Tominagi.
0: Yeah, and Julia and Stephanie. Uh,
1: oh my goodness, that was a crew, until it wasn't a crew. <laughs> so, uh, so you were that. So, so we survived that panic. So what was interesting about that is we did quite well because I was kind of a relative strength guy and I, I didn't get blown up. And then almost got blown up. How, what do you remember about uh, us blowing up? What do you remember about the firm and blowing up?
0: Uh, well, we didn't blow up from trading. No. Uh, performance Mm, actually didn't blow up at all it's just that the industry changed so much you know with decimalization you know you were running a broker dealer and a local hedge fund um a lot of the trading that we did back then was short-term in nature Uh uh, and a lot of those quasi arbitrage opportunities were dying Uh so we all adapted uh and moved on and developed other strategies that were more in line with where the world was going
1: Yeah, the trend following. You guys went deep into the hole and and got into trend following. Right. And who was the, who was, what was the seminal moment there about trend following that that interested you?
0: You know, that's a great question. Um, There was um, a moment uh, in 2002. Remember, we moved across the street. Yeah. And we were over in the Cisco building across the street there. There was a moment in 2002 where we were looking at ways of diversifying. You know, offering something that was different, sustain- yeah, different, sustainable, but different. And we stumbled upon the managed futures category. And that had reminded me of a project that I did when I was in college about six years before that, where the 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 project that I was tasked with was to uh, essentially program modern portfolio theory myself. You know, I think it was Pascal or Fortran, some programming language back then and build a you know a mean variance optimized portfolio this is typical stuff they teach you in business school. and at the time I had a bunch of friends that were aspiring hackers ethical hackers. Um, so I could get my hands on pretty much any data in the world from you know Bloomberg terminals and Reuters and whatnot. and I used all of the data that I could get my hands on to um, to build a, a, a what was considered an optimal portfolio at the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the categories was systematic global macro, which some people refer to as- Well, the interest.
1: rates were still 6% back in the old days.
0: Yes. Uh, it was I think still my global mortgage,
1: macro mattered.
0: Yeah, my mortgage rate back then was 10%. I remember so. getting
1: so excited and thinking we could upgrade our house at 6.5%. I felt like rich. Look at these kids today <laughs> with the 0% interest. Yeah, never. Could we again, never right? have foreseen this? Could we ever, in our wildest dreams- versus well, 0% world?
0: Well, try this. Um, do you know that 21 trading days ago, almost all global markets were at all-time highs?
1: Every global market? Almost every. Pretty much. Not the Chinese.
0: No, no. But on a dollar-weighted basis, if you looked at the MSCI World oh, Index. Wow. Yeah. So go, go back in time 21 trading days and uh, see how people felt. And ask yourself this, how much credibility would you lose if you started talking about crude oil going down 50%?
1: More than 50. uh,
0: Yeah, more than 50. Um, If you tried to talk about this kind of stuff just 21 trading days ago, I don't think you would have had. (laughs) How many takers would you you
1: share? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You would have have gotten a lot of, right, because you missed the trade anyway, and then everybody wants to give you money and the trade's over. Yes, you can't let me finish win. my story. Let yeah, me finish sorry. my
0: story. So, um, well, this is my show, so
1: just chill. Okay, but finish. I'll <laughs> let you do this one time. <laughs> back,
0: back in 2002, we, we made our midnight run across Camelback Road. And
1: we oh, set my up god, shop it was. Yeah, in in, in the we work of the past, it was, yes. uh, what's the name? Uh, Regis. they're having the last laugh Regis, who went bankrupt right after that or just before that. Were they coming out of bankruptcy at that time?
0: I don't remember. But actually.
1: they either went into bankruptcy or came out of it. They're still around. So we went into the WeWork of 2002, correct, across the road. We were wheeling okay. 21-inch monitors. It was like 110 degrees across a major street with uh, tumbleweeds blowing.
0: See, your memory is good. Okay. Yes, that's exactly how it went down. Uh-huh. Um, so we we were all looking for um, a business model. Yep. Since the old business model was you know, slowly dying on the vine. Yep. And we stumbled across uh, the Managed Futures asset class, and that reminded me of that project I was telling you about a few moments mm-hmm. ago. Um, so I did that project in 1986 or 7, and I built an optimal portfolio, and I turned it in to my professor. And I think this was a derivatives uh, class, Futures and Options. And he looked at it, and then he said, well, this looks really good, uh, almost looks too good. What's in here? And so I broke it apart and showed him the different asset classes. And he said to me, "Well, I don't know what these things are. Kick them out. It should just be stocks, bonds, and real estate. You know, just like everyone else." And I didn't think much of it at the time. I said, "All right, whatever." I did it. Um, The Sharpe ratio dropped a lot. The returns went down. The volatility went up. And I thought, "Why do you want a suboptimal portfolio?" But you know, I needed the A. I needed to move on. uh, And do my other projects and whatnot. But that stuck with me when we started looking at managed futures in late 2001, early 2002, because it's essentially the same as systematic global macro. And um, it motivated me to look at building a business around embedding managed futures into traditional portfolios to get that valuable diversification benefit. And uh, about a year and a half ago, I redid the analysis that I did, because back then I came up with a weighting, and it said 50% managed futures was the optimal weighting if you met, huh. if you paired it up with stocks and bonds to get the highest Sharpe ratio, the highest Sortino ratio, and the highest MAR ratio. So I repeated that analysis over the last year and a half, and the numbers have not changed. That's still the optimal weighting. And if you had held managed futures, and if you just got the beta of the managed futures industry along with global stocks and global bonds you've had a, a fantastic equity curve uh, decade after decade after decade and I thought well I don't see anyone else doing this so and that's how I invest my own money so I'm gonna build a business around that and that's what I do
1: and um, and in a, in a world that's 21 now 21 days after the 21 days that we're talking about it's 21 trading days or is it 21 days
0: 21 business days Fuck.
1: it's been it just it's been like the, first of all, the only time I'd be willing to be locked down, like meaning it's allowed me to just take this in because in a, in another world, even two years ago, where I'd be just, oh, sorry. In another world where there's no virus and I'm just living my life, I'd be so much more stressed, meaning obviously we should be worried about the virus and whatever. But like, because I'm home and, and not doing anything, I'm just so z- zoned in watching prices and the technology is so good, even for free, you know, like I use Koifin and, and stock twits and Twitter and, you know, you know, i got my broker on a phone and I can talk to founders on zoom. I'm so dialed in. I've never seen anything like this. So if, if with correlations at one, basically, how does anybody survive this type of, how does some, how does anybody not be down other than if they're in cash for getting short? 20% the last month. Is there any kind of way that anybody could have been hedged to not be down 20%? Uh, to
0: not be down 20. Uh, so a, a good 60-40 portfolio, I believe, is in about a 21% drawdown.
1: Already right in this month?
0: Well, from, from the all-time high, which was you know to 21-22. 20, oh
1: my God, 60-40 portfolios down that much? So that whole model's blown up now.
0: No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I mean, let's let's fire up the time machine and go back to the beginning of the year. And uh-huh. let's say you and I were just having a conversation uh-huh. and I and I said to you, hey, what do you think? Do you think that at some point in the future, the stock market could decline by 30 percent? You would probably say, of course. Yes, yeah, no, no,
1: no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm in the same type of portfolio. I think I'm 40, 60 or 50, 50. So keep going.
0: All right. So um, could a 60, 40 portfolio then decline by 20 percent? Of course. Yeah. Sure. I mean, no one, I mean, of course it's happened many times in the past. Good point. Um, But it just hasn't happened this
1: fast. Is that what you're saying? Okay, sorry.
0: The speed. Yeah, Yeah. there's definitely been, this has been the fastest that I've ever seen. Um, But I would also argue what difference does that really make if you're, if you're truly an investor, um, does it matter that much? Yeah, if you get it out of the way,
1: assuming that everybody doesn't panic out right now out of their 60, 40 portfolios right now because then then it's down 40%. Yeah,
0: so, you know, if we went back in time and I asked you, could there be a pandemic? Your answer would be, well, of course. I mean, the world's very interconnected, globalization, we've had plenty of pandemics. Heck, we had the swine flu that killed, I think, 30,000 Americans back in 2009, and pandemics are a fact of life. So you would have said, yes, the market can go down 30%. Sure, a 60-40 portfolio can easily go down 20%. And yes, we're almost certainly going to have a pandemic at some point. Well, guess what? Here we are. Mm -hmm. Why is it so painful? Why is it so scary when virtually every reasonable person on the planet three months ago would have agreed that those are very real risks?
1: Fascinating. And tell me what I do tomorrow.
0: Well, see, that's the point is that – I have an answer. <laughs> Why <laughs> is everyone in yeah. so much pain and uh, surprised? Well, because they were unprepared. Yeah, yeah. It's not because they didn't know. It's not. They're not that surprised at the outcome. They're just feeling pain because they were unprepared, well, either mentally, sure. economically emotionally. Network. Whatever.
1: Yeah. Like everything. Just, just, just the perfect storm for people that were unprepared. This literally is the perfect storm. And even if you were prepared, if you're a millennial and in the service industry, how do you prepare? Like Uber was supposed to be your prep. Like Uber was your fallback plan, right? Like Airbnb and Uber were your fallback plan for a kid that like my son who wants to drop out, who says I can get three jobs in gig economy. The gig economy just died for a while.
0: In some ways it has. I've oh, heard. right.
1: In delivery, I guess you could deliver and swap, put some gloves on. But we don't want Max delivering and doing stuff.
0: I hear you. Um, but in every disaster, there, there's usually a silver lining. I've had two people contact me in the last 24 hours um, begging for help because they they need to hire people. Uh, one lady's an executive at DoorDash, and they've signed up, I think, 3,000 <laughs> new point. clients in the past 10 days. And then another guy started a, an insurance company that does life insurance. And he said, you know, business is 10 X. It's crazy. I've got to hire people. So, um, is it bad? Sure. And is unemployment going to go up a lot? Yeah. And there's going to be bankruptcies and the energy sector is pretty much annihilated. Um, but it's not surprising.
1: No, no, no. I love it. This is why I miss, I mean, this is why I miss the markets. This is why I miss the camaraderie of invest like trading uh, even though I was never good at it, is that you, once you turn on the machines, you can still talk about it all day. I mean, it's just fascinating because it really comes down to being prepared in the end.
0: Yes. Well, and that's kind of, you know, being in a mild state of panic all the time, like that's I me. am. That's
1: me, yeah. like Yes, not...
0: uh, helps you to be prepared. Interesting. You can take, take that bad habit and turn it into an asset. So I like to think of myself as always prepared. You know, my coworkers tease me that I'm overprepared, but... You know, you and I went through 2002. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, We didn't blow up any clients. Uh, We went through 2008, didn't blow up any clients. Correct. Um, So here we are, um, and I feel like I'm prepared. And uh, I feel no panic. I I feel for people that are in a state of panic. Me too.
1: I'm just dealing with that. And it's been easy because I've been, no, I'm losing money because I'm not down 20%, but uh, I think it was 50-50. So I got to be down in the teens, but trading around it. And I'm not that heavily exposed to markets. I'm heavily exposed to startups and and fluff and technology and all the curve there, and prices reset even quicker in my industry than they do in the stock market. Because the next day you just say, eh, prices changed, and you pick a yeah. number out of your ass, the just like they were picking a number out of their ass on the way up, the um, so. So it's easy for me to just stop doing business and just help the companies I'm doing. In the stock market, you can. It opens the next day or in Manish Futures. It's 24-7. So you have to constantly be prepared.
0: Yeah, you have to deal with the permutation risk and the path traveled and the leverage and all those things. And, you know, preparation helps a lot.
1: And what are you seeing Have you like, what are you seeing? So, so right, the country is unprepared. Everybody's unprepared for something like this. And then a, the the network effects and the chain reactions and um, what is on the other side of this in your thinking besides the door dashes and, and the big, big trends, like with markets, like how do they settle down here? Like, how do they settle down?
0: I don't know. Yeah. Um, I've talked to a lot of guys recently that, you know, work at big pension funds um, they're scared, really scared. So, uh, and if you look at the market action right now with, you know, some of the dislocation bonds, not doing what people are expecting, you right. know, the Russell's down S and P's up at the same time. Yeah. It smells like dislocation. It feels like a uh, forced liquidations and that's oftentimes the sign of a bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it's the sign of the beginning of a, that's of the a only service. thing
1: I'm not sure yet.
0: Yes, and there's no way to
1: know. Yeah, um, there's no way to know. And so that's why I wanted to talk to you. Is like, people think, I'll you know, see at two months where we go up, or a month. You know what I mean? Relieving what we've just seen, because you know it could be forced liquidation. May not, and we'll just keep going down. Um, but it feels like there was some forced liquidation. You got Ackman crying on TV. You've got the, I mean, the only thing I'm nervous about is watching the bond action. But you know, stocks are trying. It seems. They're not giving up like there's give up selling, but stocks are trying to hold some levels, but I can't tell what's on the other side of this yet.
0: But you and I have been through the grinder through through a few times, serious bear markets. And the first green you see on the way down is not the green you buy. Right. Mm -mm.
1: Yeah. So it's better to wait for stocks to start going up or, or things to start. That's why trend following I think works. It's not sexy, but, um, I think that's why quantifying and riding trends with quant is more interesting to me. Obviously, I ride trends in various long terms because I'm forced to hold. But in the way that you think about trends, what's your favorite style of investing?
0: I like the plain vanilla rules-based trend following medium and long term. Kind of the old school CTA approach. I think it's the most reliable I can wrap my head around why it works. You know, it essentially provides liquidity to hedgers in the markets at the moment in time where they need the liquidity because they like to fade big and medium-sized trends. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a justification or an economic rationale for why it why works. Why do they
1: like to do that? Just because they think they're smarter or it's just –
0: no. So, you know, I, I grew up in Kansas. I went to Wichita State University, which is a big ag economics school. And Koch Industries is there, the Koch brothers. So there's mm-hmm. a there's a lot of commodity trading, a lot of grains and energy production that goes on there. So when I was younger, I, I mixed with people that worked on the hedging desk at Koch Industries and Cargill and other places. And I was considered a quant, a financial quant back before the, the term was, was. I know. Like, I
1: didn't even know what it was until I met you. Because I didn't know yeah. you were using Interactive Broker, and I forget the software you used. I loved it. What well, was so, like, ahead of its curve?
0: Yeah, we used a bunch of different stuff. We used mm-hmm. the NeoVest and Neo Trades. NeoVest. Are they still around? <laughs> I think they are, yeah. yeah still Back like-
1: then, that was cool shit. I don't know if it's, like, cool shit now.
0: I'm sure yeah. it is, but I haven't looked at it in a while. I, I design my own software in Python now. Okay. So look um, yeah, so just exposure.
1: dropping on me. Just, dropped, just threw down on me with Python. <laughs> Good Howard,
0: do you, even, do you even know what Python is? It doesn't
1: matter. You just threw down <laughs> on me. I know it's smarter than anything I know. I know what Python is. I don't know what it really is. You know, I've heard it thrown around lingo-wise, but that's why Gary and Tom are on my team. They, gotcha. they check out if somebody drops Python, if they really know what it means. I just say, yeah, I know it because people say it.
0: Yeah, you've seen a picture of it. Yeah,
1: I've seen a picture of a Python. So keep going.
0: <laughs> so my background from school was interacting with people that worked um, – in the uh, commercial hedging space for various different kinds of commodities, chemicals, raw materials, metals, grains, energy, and whatnot. And I had a little club. It was a, uh, we called it students of finance club, but it was really just quant finance. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of these guys that, worked on these hedging desks, joined the club at the local university. A lot of these guys were PhDs from Russia and Belarus and other places that got stuck in Kansas, and they were bored out of their minds. So right. they would come to the university, about the only um, place for critical thought in the Wichita area, um, and hang out with us. And I learned something very valuable during my time with them. I learned that oh, – a couple things. One, they're moving tremendous size. Wow. Tremendous size. I mean, I think Coke Industries probably trades fifteen percent of global commodities. Wow. Um, so it's a really big size. But the the most important point, they're not trying to make money. What they're trying to do is hedge certain risks that they have on their own balance sheet, and and even their compensation schemes are geared towards the quality of the hedge. They're trying to create negative correlation to some risk. That actually helps the
1: markets in general in most times.
0: Yeah, so there's a price discovery component and then a hedging component. Mm -hmm. Now, if you see a pool of people that are moving tremendous sums of money and they're not actually trying to make money in the derivatives markets, Mm -hmm. then they're potentially someone you can trade against. And if you provide them really valuable liquidity, that economically helps their business, then you can make a case that uh, a structural risk premium flows from them to you. So that's the theory as to why um, trend following works. Is if you figure out a way to provide liquidity to this pool of of people that don't need to make money on their derivatives. In fact, they want to lose money on their derivatives hmm. because their derivative positions are Smaller, negatively correlated, yeah, yeah. negatively correlated to their core business. So that's a thing that um, very few people understand, and even a lot of the trend followers don't don't think about why they don't think they about do it. Work.
1: They're just doing a formula and saying, "Oh, magic," but they haven't thought about why.
0: Yeah, and it's it's also the reason I don't like the quant label very yeah, much because I fifty percent like of me really focuses on the why rather than the how. You know, there needs to be – because you, you're going to get – Well, if you know the, the why, arm. you can
1: talk to your clients. If you're just a quant, you don't know how to talk to your clients, and they're just going to panic at the wrong time.
0: Well, that's a valuable side effect. It makes a big difference, but also my name is on it. You know, I have to go to sleep at night, and I have to believe that there's a, an economic rationale for this risk premium that I'm exposing people to. If I didn't believe in it, I wouldn't do it, and I can't believe in it if I can't understand why it works.
1: Mm-hmm. And do you think it helps – that uh, you don't live in a big city, or now it's a big city, but do you live off the kind of, not in the center of like New York or San Francisco or some other uh, financial center?
0: I do think it helps for from a critical thinking perspective. When I spend time in big cities, they're so busy, and you're so um, in the noise and concerned with the news that it doesn't leave you a lot of downtime um, that I think you need to self-reflect and really think about, what am I missing here? Critical thinking is difficult in a noisy environment. So, from that perspective, yes, being out here in sunny, lonely, quiet Arizona is a blessing. I think.
1: Mm -hmm. And you still love it here?
0: I do. I I, I've I've looked at other places. Um, You know, San Diego is nice. The Bay Area is nice, but the taxes and the politics aren't so nice.
1: Yeah, I gotta Uh, say, Phoenix. I'm telling you, man, I was so happy to leave in '09. And now that I'm back and didn't want to come back, I'm happy to. It's just a great place to be. I love it. Uh, not I in know. the summer. I mean, obviously, I don't know. You, stay, you don't mind it, but I can't do that. But for seven, eight months of the year, it's really a great place, the desert.
0: Are you going to Reno in the summers these days?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I should. We have friends there now, luckily. But we have, luckily, we still have the place in San Diego. So uh, I'm sure we'll do that or we travel. We just get out of Phoenix, but you know what? Now that we have a home here and it's not so bad if you're without the kids, if you come back for two days, go to movies, We you know, good restaurants. So as long as you're not stuck here for like four months in a row, it's fine because the airport's good. City re- works well. Like you said, the tax, everything works pretty well here.
0: Yeah. I love the place. So you're still on Coronado then?
1: Uh, the home is, yeah, but we have a home here. Up, uh, well, you've been to the house here. The, yeah, yeah. Um, so how big's the team here? Can you say that?
0: Sure. Yeah. So it's five people. Uh, we have a software developer, we have the C- chief compliance officer, head of sales, and then kind of the COO person people I've worked with for years. Yeah. Uh, people I trust, competent people. Um, we went out and raised some capital. We have a board of directors, we have investors. Um, we're trying to do it right.
1: And how old are you now?
0: Uh, that's a good question. I was, uh, <laughs> well, I think there's one answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be 48 in a few days. Oh my Lord. Yeah, yeah. I saw you had
1: some gray hair.
0: I have a lot of gray hair. Yeah.
1: And, um, why'd you pick old town Scottsdale?
0: Uh, so the, the, my coworkers are younger. Uh, they're all about 30, uh, except for one.
1: It's cool, and, man. It's cool there now.
0: Yeah. I think I could like, live there.
1: I think I could live there. There's a lot of cool developments happening.
0: We well, you're only four miles away. I know. Practically... That's
1: what I'm saying. I love where I live, but I literally could live there because it's just more action, walkable action.
0: It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um I'm not not really the old town Scottsdale type, but I, I know, like... but
1: it's not bad. I think the new old town Scottsdale like the old Old Town Scottsdale was hokey. The new old town Scottsdale has potential.
0: It does. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it has it's major on.
1: potential. I like I've saw some developers, friends of mine with some of the condos and stuff they're building, you know, not like like two, three at a time type condos, and it's just got good vibe. It was too hokey and Phoenixy before, and gift shop and, like, turquoise shops and, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and, I do.
1: The- and not gridded, and it was just weird. And now and they built a couple of, that gallery almost was a disaster. But now, like, some tech companies are going in there, and there's a, lot of st- there's a lot of space.
0: It is a cool spot. It's a nice place to live. It's not too crowded yet. Um-
1: and, and what do you read? Like, do you care? You don't care about the news.
0: I don't, you know, I gave up on TV, um, way before, before even, everybody. Yep. Yeah. 1998 was the last time I had a TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't find it valuable. I find that it's always, uh, after the fact selling you insurance after the house burns down, panicking at the lows, euphoria at the top. Um,
1: I mean, they literally had Ackman on after we were down 20%. What can he help me with? You know what I mean? I it's just so frustrating. Like, I get it. If he wants to tweet, I get it. Like, that's what Twitter's for. But, like, just TV just bugs me that, that way. It's just so irresponsible.
0: Yeah, for me, it was a quality of life decision, too. I was When I was younger, I would spend four or six hours a day watching TV. Uh, Working full time and going to school, like, yeah, something's got to give. Um, it's not going to be work. It's not going to be school. So it was TV. And then I never looked back. Now, when I go to the gym or someplace, like I'm at the dentist and there's a TV going, after about 10 minutes of it, I'm literally losing my mind. I do commercials. I can't, can't deal with it. So it's like junk food.
1: And then the white papers, you've written a bunch of white papers. So I got to point to those. Where Are they still up anywhere?
0: Uh, I haven't looked, actually. Oh, okay. um, people reach out, people that read them, and they want to talk about stuff. Um, but I haven't read those papers in a long time.
1: Are you working um, on anything new or just, just 100% the business?
0: Right now, it's just the business. So we finished building all the infrastructure, the software, all that stuff a couple months ago. Um, went live as a business at the end of December. And now it's really just that first year is to get that business economically healthy on a sound footing. And we have a plan and a budget, we're sticking to it, but that's my sole focus. And for the next at least one year.
1: And so in this environment, it's hard to raise money.
0: Not for what we're doing. I don't think because, um, you know, we are, we have a healthy dose of alternatives in there. That are designed to not, you know, suffer in market environments like this, but rather thrive. Mm -hmm. So selfishly, this market environment um, is probably the best thing that could have happened for at least to generate interest in what we do going forward. It's sad because I would have liked to have been able to help people prepare. Um, And it's not over. You know, I'm not saying that preparation isn't going to be helpful going forward. Not at all. It's it's never too late to prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, but this market environment, I think, is is bullish for us and our ability to raise money. Our biggest challenge is getting onto the platforms. Howard, it is so hard oh, to true, get onto true. the platforms. It's like yeah, a, it's dude. like a
1: guy selling a product. It was like why e-commerce came about is because I used to schlup my software products to CompUSA and sit in the waiting room, fly across the country and never know, you know, 40000 40, 50,000, 60,000 a year buyer decided whether my product was on the shelf. Same thing right now to get into the and to get onto the banks, right?
0: Yeah, the platforms. Platforms
1: um, being like what Schwab, Ameritrade,
0: Right. And we're on some of them. Um, and we're in the final stages with some others, but right. it's it's taken a long time. It's a lot more expensive, too, because of LJM and some other funds that, you know, they just want to make sure that your prospectus has all the legal language that it needs in it. And so and we have to pay for all that lawyers and whatnot. So but, you know, I knew that going into it. It's just a barrier to entry that you have to overcome. You just got to be patient, diligent.
1: And how does that ever get and around it? Or is it does the do RAs going on on their own make the industry Better or worse for people like you? Um, Have you thought about that in setting up the business, where the trends are in your business itself, the actual business of managing, the actual business of building a business in the financial industry?
0: I have, and it's a bittersweet topic because we're at the tail end of the...
1: Something's going on, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, five, six, seven years from now, everything will be tokenized. Um, You know, there's just all this creaky old industry is so inefficient and expensive with multiple layers of Hmm. costs that we all have to absorb. And I think that now, I've, I've spent a lot of time looking at the blockchain technology and tokenization features and the customization you can do and the efficiencies and the cleanliness of it and the accuracy. Huh. It's a no brainer, but we're years away from the old guard willingly stepping aside. And so
1: how, if you were to guess, because I, I totally, you know, Yoni Eddie Toro has talked about this for 10 years and still not close. Um, where And then there won't be a corporation at some point because you'll just buy, you'll just tokenize like Boeing's debt or you'll tokenize Boeing's revenue and you'll just bet based on those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll probably make corporations or whatever, they'll cheat less because everything will be tokenized. You don't have to like game it to get the stock price up. So that's one inevitability of this crash maybe is it'll speed up tokenization in different ways the system works, but keep going on the tokenization thing.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. How does the current well, market environment... i not that
1: I do think about <laughs> other things.
0: <laughs> um, well, if, Howard, imagine the price discovery process if it was truly...
1: Oh, uh, it would be heaven. It would yeah, be I mean, heaven.
0: There, it would be, I, sometimes be nirvana
1: I wish... for geeks.
0: I wish I could be 20 years old right now. I know. I that, say I
1: wish I could be 40 because 20 is too young, but I wish I was 40. Yeah.
0: Well, tw- 20 and smart. Yeah. Keep th- my, my current, I'm saying right? I wasn't
1: 20, so I'll take 40 because 20, I was clueless, <laughs> and I would be clueless again. But 40, I'm pretty good.
0: I think after the cleansing of this cycle. the next. Oh, my cycle, God.
1: Like what's coming up is going to be fantastic.
0: Yes. Um, it's just too early and embryonic and dangerous. You know, I mean, Bitcoin was down 40% the other day. I bit. know, but
1: I was like, people were laughing. I was talking confidentially. Oh, it's about, we're on podcast, not. But, it was, you know, I'm on some group chats with uh, people. And, you know, I saw some people buying and I was buying. I can't believe I was buying Bitcoin at six five and 4000 But I was because the smartest people I know were like, this is not related to. I mean, it's obviously related to a flight like to U.S. dollars. But Everything crashed. And by the way, Bitcoin at 6000 a day, relative to Facebook, same decline. Fair. 30%. Right? Like, where are you going to make fun of Bitcoin when an inanimate fucking object that nobody understands is down the same as Facebook?
0: I'll tell you this. With
1: more volatility, uh, but who cares?
0: Yeah. I'll tell you this. um, The brain drain out of the financial services industry is really starting to pick up speed. That's a good point, too. Some of the smartest people I know are eighty to ninety percent dedicated to crypto now. And they're not making any money yet. Um but they but wouldn't have been making money
1: where they were. They, they would be miserable uh, where they are. They're just waiting for the axe to drop.
0: Uh yeah. There's a little bit of that, but I think mainly is they just they, they think they see the light and they see the future. I think they're early. Um they I think are. I can just smart. tell they're
1: early because now this will be another push you know boeing having to be saved in the airlines for the millionth time there has to be a better way and obviously our politicians on both sides are clueless schumer saying it's all because of stock buybacks i mean if you really look at buybacks that's not why we're in this trouble uh you know it's a pandemic combined with all kinds of bad policy um but you can see the push this will be another nudge in the direction of bitcoin and tokenization system's got to be rebuilt
0: yeah, and unfortunately, the ability to invest in those things that that Ooh, that'll come last. Terrible. Like they anything,
1: anything that you invested in, that is now zero right now. Yeah. After this yeah. crash, you know what I mean? Like, how do you go raise money in this environment to, for a blockchain project in two thousand twenty April two thousand twenty? You're going to be laughed out of the room. There's like four people that will write checks for that. We need four hundred people writing checks for that. Or four thousand. Let me ask
0: you. Let me ask you this. What are you doing on the asset management front? I mean, you own I'm part of an so asset I'm so bullish.
1: So on bullish. What? Well, I'm not bullish on me because I'm old. Uh, <laughs> but I'm bullish on like, guys like you, Charlie, um, Josh. You know, just people that are taking, like, just swashbuckling. And, like, I'm not bullish on how people. Well, I'm bullish on how, like, Josh and Barry and Charlie um, write and contribute content and just try and prepare their clients for these inevitable crashes. Like, you know, we can make fun of their, we can make fun of everybody's asset allocation. That's just so easy to make fun of people and their risk. But what's not easy to make fun of is they warn their clients. This is going to happen. We don't know when and how fast, you know what I mean? So, so, so the people that write and talk to their clients online and just continually share that, like, we don't know when, but we're going to get fucked. Uh, now clients are still, I'm already seeing it with friends that call me. Uh, they're not prepared to then, st- you know, well, oh, we'll have a plan. We'll have a lot of cash. And so when the market drops 30%, we'll put money in. Guess what? You call them and they go, well, let's wait, to see if it drops 50. So no matter how much you prepare a client, every client's different. And so I don't know. That's what I can't get bullish about. Cause human behavior is, you know, panics. You can't, you can prepare your clients for it, but they won't behave the way you want them to in a panic and maybe that's why I like it because it's just so this is when you build trust so I don't know I think if you're in the game of building trust all this shit works long term
0: it's true trust and credibility are everything yeah I don't even think you have
1: to have the greatest returns I think if you can return people's capital and answer the phone all the time and be the adult and just give consistent advice uh, I find that that works
0: well, the lesson there is you actually have to do it, not just talk about it, and that's where yeah it we down. do it, and and, and
1: mm-hmm. it's scalable. So you're asked why I'm bullish, and it's so scalable. Like I can't think other than just software and social networks. What's more scalable than managing assets? It's not. It's stressful, and things can go wrong, but with good intentions and trust built up and solid nice. communication, um, now that's why I think the systems have to change because I don't trust the systems. Like I, and, 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 this is where you come in with blockchain and Bitcoin. I don't trust that either because the, all the people that are building are not quite financially minded, right? They're like geeks or libertarians or crazy people, you know? So they haven't been through a bear market. So, I mean, that, that's the opportunity I think. So anyways, that's you asked, that was a good question, but I rambled on. So, so you're obviously bullish on the, on the wealth management slash asset management business as well.
0: I think if people incorporate enough alternatives and they do it in the right way, people have tried to incorporate alternatives in the past, but it hasn't worked out well because clients stare at the performance of individual holdings and freak out when they underperform, say, the stock market, when the stock market's going straight up and they only want to buy alternatives after after the disaster. Um Anyone who can solve that problem, I think, can be very effective uh, and very wealthy as well. And that's what we're trying to do by blending the alternatives in with the risk assets and and having people look at the actual results of the whole portfolio. I think that empowers them to at least see why we're doing this and helps them be prepared.
1: And what about the idea of a robo-advisor? Where do you you stand on that?
0: I'm not a fan. Um, I think it'll bring out the worst in people. I think we're about
1: to see uh, like a pandemic around robos. Well, I'm just saying, I don't know how much money is in them 40, 50, 100 billion. But, like, what are these people? Like, what's going on? They're all down 30% this month.
0: I think it depends on whether they need the money or, or not. Nice. If they need the money, yes. Without a financial advisor to talk sense to you, you're just, you know, if you take a novice and you throw them in a the boxing ring, you know, their their instincts are going to. Cause problems. You know, if you take someone that doesn't know how to swim, you throw them in a pool, their instincts aren't going to work out very well. It's the same thing with investing. If you just take a normal human being and you throw them into the market, they're going to, I can tell you pretty much exactly how they're going to react to different market conditions and the results are not good. So without a financial advisor who is thinking realistically and already has already been through the grinder and knows, you know, what you're going to do, how you're going to react and whatnot, and it's putting, protocols in place to deal with that then you're going to get the same results that any other novice gets and those are really bad so Robo's kind of take that to another level I think mm-hmm. um, and that, that's not a good thing now
1: yeah it was a VC concoction in my opinion how do we beat Vanguard at being Vanguard well Vanguard's pretty damn good doesn't need to be disrupted they're charging zero
0: yeah they do do a great job I agree
1: the for 99% of people or 90% of people's what you know between BlackRock between you know like there's enough good products that are free that are going to have, you know, hidden risk. Everything has, we're seeing it right now. Um, because if everybody tries to get out the door at the same time, we're seeing the systemic type of risk. So what do you think of negative rates? And I'll let you off the podcast. Like, how does, how do you process that? Like, how do you put people into something that has negative?
0: I don't think you can get away with that. uh, Right. Like it's,
1: it just makes no sense to me. Charlie and I talk about all the time. It's like, how do you with a straight face say that's, diversifying your client
0: well it is diversifying them it's just you're signing up for a negative uh, nominal return and almost certainly a negative real return going forward and i don't know that legally people are going to be able to maintain that um it's a bad scene over in europe they've been dealing with negative rates no but i saw the
1: robos and they have like negative yielding as part of their robo holdings or negative yielding securities
0: no, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I understand why some people are tempted to do it, though, because they rely on bonds to be a quasi-hedge against yeah. stocks because yeah. they're used to a negative correlation. Um, that's dangerous for several reasons. We're seeing one. it
1: right now, like the, when they correlate. We're seeing that. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you just go look at the 1970s. So that was far, far more painful than what we witnessed over the past month. Far more painful because – Stocks and bonds went down together and they yeah. went down more. And liquidity yeah. was even lower back then. So what we've been through has been painful, but it's 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 a broken finger relative to a broken femur if you go back to the nineteen seventies. Your
1: finger versus femur, Canute. Yeah. <laughs> the
0: uh
1: I'm trying to wrap my head around well, I don't want to end on a negative note, because yeah, you and I could get ourselves spun out of control here. But yeah, some things are not making sense to me. I can think so we were like but that's still it'll. The smart people will come up with new products. That could also be a reason why tokenization matters. You, know, you just can't have this much money in negative yielding. Just it's just hard for me to put my head around this stuff. Some of it, just a common what? sense stuff. I don't even know the math. Just just you tell me negative rates. I go what? Like I can no, understand it. zero. You I got so much cash that you know, I just pay for the you to hold it for me. I get that, right? You know what I mean? I guess that's why it could be a little bit negative.
0: Hey man, it's supply and demand. I've, there's yeah. a couple smart people out there talking about, and this is absurd. But they're talking about negative prices for crude oil.
1: So what in the world? What does that look like? Because we'll be dead from war. But what does that look like?
0: I, it's well, it, the reason is is because crude oil is a toxic substance, and if it's an oversupply, you gotta store it somewhere. You have to insure it, um, and if the storage and insurance costs exceed. The intrinsic value of the oil itself, then the futures contract will show a negative price. Now, I don't expect to see that, but these are people that are not dummies saying that's very and they very look pretty realistic. smart.
1: The last month,
0: yeah. Um, so, I mean, you've a negative and it's rates. playing
1: into their head, like they're pumping more of it.
0: Yeah, and the, there's a lot of dislocation out there. I mean, why is silver trading at you know one-year lows when gold was going up? There's just it feels like forced liquidations, there's a lot of negativity and it feels like a big reset button just got hit and we're going to get a lot of surprises going forward.
1: Yeah. And you, you're not scared of that.
0: No, I'm not. I mean, the the way, like I said, prepared, um, I run my portfolio in a very risk averse, pragmatic way. Um, and it doesn't mean I'm going to make money all the time. I'll take my drawdowns and lumps. Um, but I don't feel like I'm, Loading it all up onto any one risk factor. I feel like I've got three pistons and it's very unlikely for all of them to misfire at the same time. It will happen from time to time, but I'm not taking enough risk to keep me up at night. So hmm. I don't, I don't freak out.
1: So, all you know right. I mean. This was really enjoyable.
0: Yeah, me too. I, uh, you're, uh, I appreciate-
1: you're, you're locked down. Maybe we'll to grab a bite when we're on lockdown in a month, three weeks. What do you think about the pandemic? You read a lot. What do you think? Are we, we way underprepared or is it going to pass?
0: Well, probably you don't know this, but I was a public health major before switching to finance. Um, so, pandemics and diseases and outbreaks and stuff like that were very, were, it was an interesting topic to me when I was younger. Um, it's not unlike the stock market. Right. You know, it's a dynamic, nonlinear system with unintended consequences and uh, it's just, it's, you know, geometric growth. It's weird stuff. So, um, this pandemic you know, if you chart it out logarithmically, it doesn't look that different from any other pandemic. It's a little worse in some ways. It's a little better in others. It's not killing kids very much. Um, They're
1: carrying it though.
0: They're carrying it. Yes. Um, you know, in, in, it's killing people that have pre-existing conditions that are primarily over 67, 68 years old. Uh Um, but so the flu does the same thing. Um, pneumonia does the same thing. That's causing pneumonia. Oh, um, it's causing. Okay. But yeah, so it, I think it's a pandemic. Uh, it's very similar to ones we've had in the past, and I think that it's probably going to spread in a similar way. Uh, it seems to be more contagious um, when you're not showing symptoms than some strains of flu, so it's probably going to spread more. I think most of us will eventually get it, just like most of us eventually get, you know, the multiple flu. strains of the flu, mm-hmm. and uh, some of us are going to die. And that is a fact of life. And the flu does the same thing. And we're just going to have to figure out a way to evolve and deal with but it.
1: But you've never quarantined over the regular flu.
0: No, but this is more of a business risk um, thing. Whereas for me, I'm not afraid to get the flu or this thing either. I, I'm, I'm in very good health. Um, but I have a business to run. And, uh, and there's nothing to do anyways. Everything's closed. So I, w- I was walking around in Old Town Scottsdale two days ago. And, uh, and be
1: if there's one place I thought would like ignore this, like spring break would be Old Town Scottsdale. So I'm kind of proud that they've got their shit together there. Okay.
0: That's oh, a ghost town. I saw six people. Three of them are wearing masks. Wow. So.
1: Yeah, Phoenix, I'm pretty, a redneck place. This is like, we've, we've, we've hunkered down. <laughs> it surprises <laughs> me this town. I think when it was very undiversified for that last bubble in 08, I think like the city the city went through hell and I think it it's way more diversified now.
0: I feel the same way. Yeah. I think, uh, it's more, Meaning like this was the
1: center of the fucking end of the world. Like obviously orange County and you know, Florida, but like Phoenix was a shit show.
0: You know, I got family up in the Bay area and they're all quarantined. No one's going to work. They
1: but that's the out. next hell hole because yeah. this is a tipping point, right? All these kids without, Four hundred thousand dollar year jobs and towers are going to have to just go somewhere else.
0: I will make one prediction. I'm not big on predictions, but since it's a podcast, I'll make one. I think the government. <laughs> since it's a podcast tells-
1: <laughs> that no one listens to. I'll make one.
0: <laughs> I'll make one. I think the government is going to tell everyone to go back to work by the end of April. They're going to say the economic damage we're doing is just not justified. Like the unintended consequences I think his biggest
1: mistake trump and even though he you know is he should have just stayed with the hoax thing like people would have died they would have screamed and then he would have been able to like i don't know i just think he's just panicked like everybody else he caved at the wrong time i mean i'm gl- i'm listen we 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 have enough knowledge we were going to self quarantine ourselves fuck you know what other, other people tell us but like i agree i think he's going to cave the other way
0: yeah, and I understand the quarantines and trying to keep the spike, you know, yeah. low the in spike the spike is what we
1: got to worry about. Like, there's going to be clusters everywhere now. Now it's too late.
0: But eventually, the unintended consequences of shutting everything down are going to outweigh the, the benefits, at least economically.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. So you think end of April?
0: Yeah, if I had to guess, that's what I would say. It's not based on much, though, other than if I was running the country and I was looking at the economic consequences, I would start to say more people are going to die from the economic consequences than the virus itself, if we drag this out into the summer. So people are going to go insane. So it look, it, it's out there. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. I know that's why gonna... their
1: whole deny. That's why it pisses me off about we, we're getting what we deserve. This whole, you know, the old day when we had only three choices, we got better news. And when we have thousands, it's like the one chance Twitter and Trump and all these people have to deliver a message. They're late. They're conflicted. They they can't get their story straight. You know what I mean? We like yeah, could do just, such good with these tools and we're just not doing our job.
0: Well, it's because we're dumb animals and we um don't know how to deal with um all these luxuries and freedoms. So we need to evolve on that front too. Use these things responsibly and for good.
1: Yeah, can you see it's just ripping you called you a dumb animal. <laughs> it doesn't apply to Canadians. <laughs> just, of course not. So, uh, all right that was not. fantastic. We'll have you back on when markets are better because we're only going to do one, hopefully one panic with one panic series every twelve years or fifteen years. But uh, I think you're right. I think end of April, it's just the country will break either way. So it's we've got two months of hard pain, and then hopefully the the doctors and scientists can do their job um, and uh, save us. Um, I hear you. All right, buddy. Good luck with standpoint, and we'll we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks, man. Take care.
1: Cheers. There you go. Pretty good for a guy from Kansas. He's <laughs> <We laughs> a very smart stuff. guy. That's, yeah, very calm. <laughs> if you look up the word "even keel" in Webster's, it. I've been Traverick lucky as much there. as I've had some crazy people work with me. He was so even. I was the crazy one in that relationship. He kind of he was the first guy that was just like, dude, look at this. He would always just show me stuff and I was like the, the, the geek. I didn't know I was a geek until I met guys like Eric. Right. Because he was using technology. Well, you're a geek, but like we weren't working together. He was the first guy that was like showing me stuff on computers. I was like, wow. Because, you know, I wasn't like, you know, with us, college, there wasn't, we were just paying people to type our essays, weren't we? So we barely had computers. Barely. So we would just pay people. Exactly. Now those people are bringing us the flu. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry, that was, a, that was a message from Fox News. That wasn't me, really. No. The, uh, all right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed uh, the soothing voice of Eric Crittenden at Standpoint. Uh, and we will be back tomorrow with a few more Panic with Friends. Canute, thanks. Thank you.